Again, as we've made our way through the Beatitudes, we've read every one today focusing on the last where Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. According to the World Watch List, it's estimated that over 360 million Christians today live in places where they experience extreme persecution. And just the last year alone in 2022, thousands of Christians all over the world have been arrested, have been detained without trial. Many of them have been beaten and many have even been killed. Now, while you and I, as we live in the United States of America, rarely, if ever, experience physical persecution like that, we are beginning to increasingly experience hostility and animosity and all kinds of social pressures because of what we believe about Jesus Christ. And the question that we are asking often is this, how are we to live in times such as these? But as we read the Sermon on the Mount, once again we're reminded that what we are experiencing today is nothing new. And Jesus gives us the answer. When Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us that persecution is a blessing. And the question that you and I have to ask this morning is, why? How on earth could living in a hostile and dangerous world where we here in the United States experience all kinds of social pressure and our brothers and sisters throughout the world are literally dying for our faith, how can Jesus say that is a blessing? What I want you to see this morning, as Jesus has said time and time again in the Beatitudes, that the kingdom of God turns everything upside down. It reorients what we value 
and it completely changes, radically so, the places that we find joy. So this morning, what us all to see is that Jesus is building his church through his church, not in spite of persecution, but because of it. And that is why it's a blessing, not only to us, but to the entire world. The first thing I want you to know, I want you to know that persecution is about righteousness. I want you to look with me, Matthew 5, verse 10. These are Jesus' words for us this morning. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. As we have seen over and over and over again in the Beatitudes, that they are in many ways counterintuitive. They don't quite make sense to us if we look at them with face value. Jesus has said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He has said, blessed are those who mourn. He said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And now he's saying, blessed are the persecuted. How can that be? How can those who are persecuted be blessed? How is it that persecution is a blessing? Now the word persecuted here means to be harassed. It means to be troubled. To be persecuted is to suffer great harm because of what you believe. That is what it means to be persecuted. And what's more is that the Bible makes it clear that we are, as followers of Jesus Christ, to expect persecution. We shouldn't be surprised that persecution will come to the church of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul put it this way in his second letter to Timothy. This is what Paul said. He said, indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Not only that, but we can expect that the world around us and those who are evil in it will go, Paul says, from bad to worst. That they will continue deceiving others and being deceived. In other words, what you and I are beginning to experience is not only nothing new, but the Bible told us that it would happen. That this is what is normative for those who are seeking first the kingdom of God while living amongst the kingdom of man. But I want you to notice closely what Jesus says. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. 
He did not say, blessed are those who are persecuted for self-righteousness sake. And there's a big difference. Self-righteousness takes on many forms. As we saw weeks ago, that righteousness is simply defined as rightness. It's being right. And it's the kind of rightness that can only truly be defined by the character of God and his kingdom. But self-righteousness is not defined by the kingdom of God and his character. No, self-righteousness is defined by the kingdom of man. It's a righteousness that we define on our own terms. And today, we live in a culture that is constantly posturing and putting forth their own self-righteousness. And this is not the kind of self-righteousness that you might think of. A lot of times we think of self-righteousness, we think of our own righteousness before God. The way that we justify ourselves before God, and we can't. Because Paul said, none is righteous, no, not one. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned and need a savior. But that's not the kind of self-righteousness that we see in our world today. Now, today in our culture, it's not a self-righteousness before God. No, it's a self-righteousness before one another. That we are constantly trying to justify ourselves before others. We're putting our own righteousness on display. As a New York Times columnist recently said in a podcast my wife and I were listening to, David Brooks, he said that today... Perhaps more than ever in our lifetimes, people are looking for opportunities to perform their zeal. We like to wear our righteousness, even on t-shirts. You may have heard it called as virtue signaling. Of saying it's the ultimate humble brag, right? Look how good I am because of the causes that I devote my life to, the things that I pursue, It even takes on political forms and a political form of self-righteousness, both for conservatives and for liberals. A self-righteousness even defined by what we eat, by what we wear, by the things we devote our time to, all in an attempt to make ourselves seem more righteous than the people around us. You see, self-righteousness is all about comparison to one another rather than holding ourselves to the standard of the righteousness that only comes from the character of God. J.C. Ryle, in a book on holiness, warned us in this way. He said, let us never measure our religion by that of others and think we are doing enough if we have gone beyond our neighbors. If what we are putting on display in this world It's nothing more than self-righteousness. Then when you are persecuted for self-righteousness, I want you to know it's not persecution. It's criticism. And it's probably warranted. That if you are from a self-righteous spirit judging others, 
and putting yourself before them, forgetting that you too, even as a Christian, are in just as need as a savior, as a lost and dying world, that only by the grace of Jesus you have been given the son and salvation that comes only through his name, then you have forgotten what it means to be given the righteousness that only comes through Jesus. And when a hostile world calls you judgmental, they're probably not wrong. If this morning you're not a Christian and you've always had a hard time with the self-righteousness that you sometimes see among religious people, I want you to know something. Jesus agrees with you. He had a problem with it too. And this is why we are such such desperate need for the gospel this morning. Every one of us. And why Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Because when we define our lives, not by the kingdom of man, but by the kingdom of God, and when we live after his kingdom, and submit ourselves to his reign and his rule and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then we can expect to be persecuted. The second thing I want you to know is that persecution is about Jesus. Look with me, Matthew 5, verse 11. Jesus goes on, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, to understand what persecution is, perhaps it's good to start with what it isn't. This is what it's not. Persecution is not about you. Persecution is about Jesus Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you on my account. It is when we are most identified with Jesus that we can be expect to be persecuted. In the book of Acts, we're told the story of the apostle Paul. If you've never heard the story, it's an incredible story. And maybe you don't realize that before The Apostle Paul wrote so many of the books of the New Testament and brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He was a persecutor of Christians. I was saw a few weeks ago, he was there at the stoning of Stephen. He oversaw it. He murdered and persecuted Christians for their faith. And there on the road to Damascus, on his way, to persecute more Christians, Jesus visited Saul. Acts chapter nine, verse one, this is what Luke tells us, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What he's asking for is a hit list. He wants a list of Christians so that he can bind them, arrest them, cause them to suffer so that he can persecute them. Verse 3, Acts 9, Luke continues and tells us, Now on his way he went, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Do you hear what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? He didn't even say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? No, Jesus sees himself as so united with his people, so deeply connected with them, particularly in their suffering, that Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Persecution is not about us. It's about Jesus. And yet when we make our identities as Christians, as what we are against, it becomes about us. For centuries we have struggled as God's people to find our place in a hostile world. And I've put it this way before, that there's really two extremes, and we've seen this for generations of the church. One extreme is to become sectarian. It's to recognize what Paul said, that there is great evil in this world, that it's going from bad to worse, and so as the church, we need to purify ourselves and put up walls around us. To become sectarian, to remove ourselves from a hostile culture. That's one extreme. The other is called syncretism. The other extreme says, you know what? It is hard to live in a hostile world, and maybe it shouldn't be so hostile. Maybe if we become more like our culture, we could win a hearing with them. Maybe if we could make the church more palatable for them and more relevant, then maybe they would actually pay attention to us and hear us, and so let's become more like our culture and assimilate into it. But you see, I think those two extremes are two sides of one coin. They're both about responding to culture, responding to the kingdom of man, taking our cues from the world around us rather than taking our cues from the kingdom of God and saying, as the church, we will not be defined by our culture at all. But there's actually a third and more radical way that we would not be defined in what we are against or for in our culture, but we would define first and foremost by our identity with Jesus. And Jesus promised that the more that we are like him, the more that we will become weird and strange and even hated. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of John. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then they will also persecute you. And what we will find is that throughout human history, the church of Jesus, the more that she becomes like him, the more that she will be persecuted. And what we also find throughout human history is that the church of Jesus Christ has always thrived in the midst of persecution. And in our world today, 
and the places where Christians are enduring the most difficult persecution, there we see the church of Jesus Christ flourishing. That not only are they being blessed, but they have become a blessing to the world. And so the third and final thing I want you to know as we end, I want you to know that persecution is about proclaiming the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me, verse 12, this is what Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Not only does Jesus say blessed are the persecuted, but Jesus says rejoice. Can you believe that? Think about that for a second. Jesus says you're gonna be persecuted and rejoice. Be glad, and you see this echoed throughout the New Testament. James 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Paul in Romans 5 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Peter, 1 Peter 4, verse 12 says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you, as though something strange was happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. The Bible not only makes it clear that as the church, the more that we are like Jesus, the more that we can expect to be persecuted, it also makes it clear that this is to our joy. How can that be? Because the kingdom of God completely turns our world upside down. And it challenges the place where we find our greatest joy. So here's the question. Where is your joy ultimately found? Because it's only when your joy is found in Jesus and his kingdom that you can count the hardship of persecution as a blessing. Sunday, December the 9th in 2018, over 100 members of Early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu, China, were arrested. Among those who were arrested were Pastor Wang Yi. On December 26, 2019, Wang Yi was secretly tried at the Chengdu Intermediate People's Court. And on December the 30th, the court announced that Pastor Wang Yi would be sentenced to nine years in prison, a sentence that he is currently serving today. Pastor Wang Yi, knowing what would likely come to him for preaching the gospel in communist China, wrote a letter that he asked would be distributed on the occasion of his arrest. I want you to listen for just a moment to his words. Pastor Yang Yi wrote, on the basis of the teachings of the Bible and the mission of the gospel, I respect the authorities God has established in China. For God deposes kings and raises up kings. This is why I submit to the historical and institutional arrangements of God in China. As a pastor of a Christian church, I have my own understanding and views based on the Bible about what righteous order and good government is. At the same time, I'm filled with anger and disgust at the persecution of the church by this communist regime, at the wickedness of their depriving people of the freedoms of religion and conscience. But changing social and political institutions is not the mission I have been called to. 
And it's not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel. As a pastor, my firm belief in the gospel, my teaching and my rebuking of all evil proceeds from Christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love of that glorious king. Every man's life is extremely short and God fervently commands the church to lead and call any man to repentance who is willing to repent. Christ is eager and willing to forgive all who turn from their sins. If God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures and to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment and through them to make them know Jesus, if through this he continues discipling and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans for his plans are always benevolent and good. And he goes on and on talking about he is joyfully willing to endure persecution for the sake of the gospel in China. And what I want you and I to wrestle with this morning is first that he is a brother in Christ. He's one of us. He's part of our church family. Second, that this did not happen years and years ago, but it's happening right now and all over the world. And third, to see the clarity with which he sees his calling that he is called first and foremost to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we share in that same mission, every one of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation, that makes you a disciple. And if you are a disciple, you have been called to go and make disciples for the joy of all peoples, for the glory of God, enduring persecution, not only for your blessing, but for the blessing of the world. Because when the world sees the suffering of the church, they behold the sufferings of Jesus. And if this morning you do not know him, as you consider the story of persecution of the church of Jesus Christ throughout the centuries. I want you to see the suffering of Jesus for you. For he died for you. He suffered for you. On the third day, he rose again for you. So that you, along with all who call on his name, would find the kingdom of God and salvation in his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, by your spirit, we pray that you enable us to receive the calling you've given to us, to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting right here in Dallas, Texas. We thank you for the sending of the Holy Spirit who now is with us as we are witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. We pray now the power of the Holy Spirit that you would help us to seek first the kingdom. And as we sing this final hymn and go from here, that you would make us partakers of your suffering by your grace and mercy so that we might know the joy and the fullness 
of the calling that you've put on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.